I'm Beth. And I'm Leslie. And welcome to Quince. A little sweet. A little tart. And a little unexpected. Today is Sunday, September 11th, 2016. And we have a lot to talk about. I know, it's been a while. Yeah, including what 9-11 means, which I'm sure everybody in America knows. I know. Today, I've been listening to a lot of the programs on NPR. Yeah. They've had some really, really good programs. I'm sure they have. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just one of the many things we have to commemorate all the time. Some good, and some not so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about, um, it was Ruby Bridges' birthday this past week. That's right. The young six-year-old, I guess she would have been, um, who was the first to desegregate the schools in Louisiana. Yeah. Yes. And it was a hard year. And uh, I read one article that talked to somebody who was one of the marshals or whoever that were guarding her about how brave she was. Can you imagine? For a little six-year-old. And that picture is iconic. Yeah. That we all know the little girl in the white dress and walking. Surrounded by all these tall men. Mm -hmm. And uh, she went to school like by herself for a long time. Mm -hmm. Because people wouldn't let her be in, let their children be in the class. So a lot to commemorate. I did see Mm -hmm. one kind of sweet thing. Um, Somebody had posted all the names of all the people that were on the planes. They're doing a quilt. Yes, and they said that, now I'm not sure if it's the people who died in the towers or if it's everyone. Right. I don't know. That would be one heck of a, it must be this huge continuous thing. Uh But they're putting a picture of everybody on that quilt. And they had pictures of everyone but 10 people. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing So project. it might be those who died in the towers. Yeah. Might well, be. that would still be an oh, amazing a huge, number. Huge, yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Commemorations. It seems like we have something almost every day these days to think about. But we're going to talk about... You had had a wonderful, we were, were a little late because Beth has been on a wonderful trip. I was. Yes. I, I went off. I went out of state. Yeah. I was gone about 10 days longest. Yeah, you, yeah, you went to several states. I did. Headed up to West Virginia to home. Got to go to Hemlock to our camp called the Wilderness. Somebody had put a deer stand, <laughs> which whom we have no clue. Who did that? And not approved it. And had not approved it. And um, we had it taken down and hidden. So (laughs) it's gone. Somebody comes back, they're going to wonder what happened to their deer stand. But I went with the sisters and and the brother to uh, the wilderness. And then the sisters, the four of us, headed up through Pennsylvania, stopped off in Meadville, where I went to college at mm. Allegheny College, and had lunch, and then headed on up to Chautauqua, yeah. New York, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. And y'all do that every couple of years? Yeah, this was my, I think, fourth, fifth, fifth time of being wow. there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's people who've gone there their entire life. The place started in the 1870s. And, yeah. I have a um, few books, actually, from the Chautauquas. Chautauquas. Yeah, yes. I, I guess they're from some of the series. That they, they say it's the Chautauqua series. Oh, yes. For yeah. the, it started. They started the very first book at Literary yeah. Club yeah. back then. And people all over the country. It's quite fascinating. Um, like say some farmer's wife in North Dakota or something could order the books that were on the reading list that wow. year and you know cheaply too yeah. back in the day and they could get them and read them and then after so long a period you you could become a graduate wow. of this 
Yes, so oh, people awesome. all over the country join this yeah. literary society, and they still have it. Yeah. Yes, my sister Kay is the one who's been, you know, more faithful to yeah. it. Mm -hmm. But I love looking back over the list. They have all the titles of the books since they started this wow. in the 1880s. Yeah. Right on up to what they're reading this year. Interesting. Very amazing. But it's a gorgeous place. I've got yeah. a couple postcards of the Hall of Philosophy and then out on the lake. Oh, Chautauqua yeah. Lake is a huge lake. Mm. Um, and there's several villages yeah. along it. But the Chautauqua Institute, Institute sits on you know one side of the lake. And it, back in the day, they had to come... By ferry, you know, they'd take trains up from New York City right. or Pittsburgh, Cleveland, mm -hmm. Buffalo, come over. It's near Jamestown, New yeah. York. And and them would pitch their tents. Yeah. And now, of course, there's beautiful homes. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Now, or yeah. Your sister had all these pictures yes. that she had taken. And she had a picture, a modern picture of that. Uh, pavilion there. Uh huh. Yes. Yep. Yes. Beautiful place. Where you met the interesting gentleman. Yeah, it's a, it's right. My friend. Yeah. Yeah. I I shared a tree with a doctor from Johnson City, Tennessee. That's all <laughs> I know about him. But yeah. we listened for a couple hours, leaning against the same tree. Yeah. The kindred spirit. Uh huh. I know. Never see again. I, I saw him one other time during the week, and yeah. I'm like tree man, and he's like hello <laughs> there. You know. Other than that, I'll never see him again. Right. <laughs> and so you had a music weekend. The whole week. The, yeah, whole week. the whole week was, yeah. um, Wendell Marcellus was Ooh. there. He spoke, he played, played with the, um, Lincoln Center Jazz. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. so good. Wow. He wrote a mass called the Abyssinian Mass and the Abyssinian Church from Harlem came, mm. their choir Oh my oh, gosh. Wow. It rocked that auditorium. I bet. <laughs> I just, the whole week, you know, you either have the symphony or you have, we had a dance troupe one night. We had Boogie Stomp, this, these two men who played the piano. They were yeah. there one night. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just was, it, it's a blend of the arts and spirituality and religion and lectures and science it just it's it's a whole blend of all of yeah, that just a wonderful experience. in fact one of our speakers was Jeffrey Ward who wrote the Roosevelt's with Ken Burns oh, and yeah. he also wrote the jazz one with Ken Burns and baseball oh, and wow. he was one of our he was there all week in fact, oh. I sat at a table next to him in the hotel dining room one cool. night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, people rub shoulders yeah. at Chautauqua. Absolutely. You get to speak to the speakers. Yeah. yeah. That's great. You get to talk about walking around. That's mm -hmm. just a nice experience. Yes. An amazing experience. Yes. So I encourage anyone. It's always open nine weeks out of the summer Absolutely. and anyone can go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little pricey, but yeah. no more. I mean, certainly less than people who go on a cruise for a week. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather go to Chautauqua. Yeah, that would be, that'd be more, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then coming up, anything interesting coming up that uh, you're doing? Or? Mm, we're having a Gatsby weekend, Gats Gatsby Gala at the Homestead next weekend. That sounds just marvelous. Yes. Yeah, more jazz. 1920s. Yeah, yeah. more jazz and mm -hmm. um, interesting uh, things about the 20s. And uh, they said they had a photographer and 20s props. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like a really fun evening. Yes, it, I think it will be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think anything else. We've taken several bus trips Yeah, that they're planning. Uh, I'll be going on the one that's headed to Oak Island. Jim McIntosh, the painter, uh -huh. um, he's going to teach outdoor plein air, you know, the art Ooh. painting. And we're staying in the Baptist Assembly down in that area that's right on the ocean. Cool. So. Yeah, yeah so. that's coming up in the I get to drive the van that have the luggage, <laughs> yeah. you know. 
Julie will drive the 15 passenger right. bus. That's I don't trust right. myself to drive that yet. Yeah. Then that's in November? October. October. Mm -hmm. You've got a busy time of it because October is oh, yeah. just insane anyway. Around October here. is insane at the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah. Nez of Dan. So and we're, we're uh, gearing up for that. Yes. After a big so, how about day. you? I got nothing. Oh, you, <laughs> I, really I don't, don't believe have anything. you. I can't think of anything that's going on that I have done lately, hmm. except work and, and go home and work some more. Hmm. Let me think what I know you have done. Have I done anything? I, I had a wonderful time looking after Clue while you were gone. Thank you so much she for doing that. She was very that. sweet. And, yes. Um, enjoyed that. Well. She was sweet one day, sassy one day. You know, she's that's her my usual girl. self. <laughs> that's my kitty cat, and our friend JC yeah. was here. Yeah, yeah, we had a good visit with him, and um, yeah. and I had stuff that kept getting in the way of me really seeing him very much. But uh, he's in Germany right now, and that's fun to see. Yes, he's our. And for those of you who may not remember, other times we've talked. He's, he is a pet sitter by profession, yeah. and he goes around to various houses around the country, and I think he's going to expand internationally yeah. soon in the future. He's yeah. on vacation in yeah, Germany vacation and right now, the so. Czech Republic and yeah. various places. He kept his but. temper and everything through all sorts of horrendous things to try to get there. But. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Had to spend the night in Iceland. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, really terrible. So. <laughs> All right. So are we ready for our sayings? I think so. Okay. So now we'll go into a little suite. And I have stuff laying around here that people can't see. But I thought, uh, I always talk about knitting. But I thought maybe I'd talk a little bit about spinning oh, this neat. time. And of course, a lot of times um, people, when they think of spinning, they think of the spinning wheel because that's the most visible way to spin. But you can also spin with spindles. And way back in the dawn of time, I'm pretty sure that a woman was sitting on the side of a creek somewhere, watching the kids or watching the men fish or whatever, and she picked up some rotten uh, fiber that probably came from a plant, maybe had been laying in the water. I mean, you know how you'll do, just fidget sure. with something, and she just fidgeted with it and twisted it, and she looked down and she had a string, and she thought, you know, this might be useful. And, the, and we're talking like the dawn of time because they have found uh, twisted fibers that are 30,000 years old. From the caves. Yeah, and, the, uh, and, and um, even older. Wow. I think uh, the last time I really checked into it, it was 30,000 years old. And uh, it may be um, even older. I, somebody found a ball of yarn, I think recently but I'd have to check into that so this is like 30,000 years ago and the really interesting thing about this the the fibers they found were twisted they think it may have been a bag or a carrying something to carry the fish that the men had caught or whatever the interesting thing about them was they were dyed they did they found they were dyed the fibers they found 30,000 years ago were dyed. Now, whether it was to protect the fiber, probably not. Or decoration. Just, just to make it pretty. So that fascinated me. So after, you know, fiddling with this and making it with her fingers, she got the idea that she could use a stick to store it. Or maybe somebody generations later, who knows. And so they used the stick, and they still twirled it with their fingers, but they used the stick so they could make a longer string. And that's probably when people started realizing they could make clothes and whatever. And then somebody put a hook on the stick, which made it even more, more useful. And then eventually, they put a weight 
on the stick. Ah. And that made it even faster to make the yarn because then you could use both hands and um, you can make a, a continuous strand that could be miles long, really, because you could store it on the stick. So some physics and engineering. Absolutely. And then eventually somebody in India that, uh, realized that if they turned the stick on its side and put a drum or a wheel, they could spin even faster. That's that was the first spinning wheel. In India. And it was oh. the first one I know that I have ever found out about. And it wasn't a, a conventional wheel like we had, but it looked more like a drum. And the drive van rested on the drum, mm. but it turned the stick. And then eventually, somebody added the, uh, figured out about ratios and put that big wheel. And that you see the European style great mm -hmm, wheel. Mm -hmm. And then along about the time of Leonardo da Vinci, somebody invented the flyer. What's the flyer? The flyer is in the little wheel that you see. The thing with the hooks on it, mm -hmm. that's a flyer. And what that does is you can sit down and treadle, and the as you're spinning, the flyer stores the yarn onto the bob onto the bobbin. Uh -huh. So it's even faster than the great wheel. The great wheel is faster than just the spindle, but then the a flyer wheel is faster than the great wheel. Now, would that take the place of the need for a yarn spinner or a weasel? No, no, you still need you all that. You still need that yeah, still afterwards. Need that. Yeah, that comes in after. What you do, what, what you're doing is you put the, uh, you have several bobbins, uh, if you're lucky, if you're, and your husband was a good woodworker, and um, you fill the bobbins, and then you ply two together, ply two strands together, and then you use the weasel to measure your mm -hmm. yarn into a, a skein used to be actually a legal um, term, right? Yeah, a legal term was 420 yards of yarn. Uh, right. I mean, I sound like I know what I'm talking yeah. about, which of course I don't, yeah. except that we have a weasel exactly. at the Reynolds Homestead, uh -huh. and when I'm giving the tour, I will say they would spin and spin until they had that little click noise, yeah, and then, and then they knew they had a scheme. Yeah, or whatever, yeah. and they could They were set up it. differently. You, could, you might, it might... Uh, skein every 20, it might click every 20 turns, and so that might be 150 yards. Mm -hmm. It depends on the way the weasel was made. Right. But you, you know, you counted the number of clicks, and then you knew you had your 420 yards. Uh-huh. You know, if it, if it was important to you. And, I, and of course, you know, when people make, were making it for their own use to the plantation right. at, at the homestead, they um, might not have been that concerned really about how much yardage. Mm -hmm. Well, I hadn't thought about it as being for sale, which yeah. it would be a legal term. Yeah, it was a legal term of sale. Yeah. But I was thinking more for patterns, like say yeah. it yeah. takes two well, skeins and, and or something. Well, and the old something. patterns really didn't do that. <laughs> they didn't warn you how no, much No, they really just it. said like um, eight ounces of, um, you know, eight ounces of uh, worsted weight or eight ounces of um, mm -hmm. lightweight. The ter all that terminology has changed as well, and I'm not as familiar with it. Hmm. You know, a, a worsted worsted also used to be a legal term for a certain type of spinning, and oh. now we say worsted weight for just the the size. Okay. You know, it, it's complicated, but anyway, I didn't mean to get but that. But very interesting. Yeah, I love seeing all yeah. your sticks, and which she will take types. pictures. Yeah, of. I'll take pictures. Um, there are lots of different types of spindles. A lot of people don't realize that some spindles are supported. You, you spin with them actually resting on something. And this is a um, Romanian spindle that a friend gave me. Oh, how cool. And, and it's based on a Russian pattern. And for years and years and years, I had no idea how to use it. But recently, I discovered that it's a supported spindle. And now it makes perfectly good sense how to use it. Mm -hmm. Inside a little bowl yeah, or some such. Exactly. And then this one is a small spindle that a friend of mine in Colorado made for me. Now, what would you use that for? For a very fine spinning. As you can see, mm -hmm. this is a silk thread. Oh, nice. That I spun. Uh, it is, it's thicker than a sewing thread, but not by much. 
So uh, the smaller the whirl, the smaller your um, the uh, small finer your thread. And I have some uh, whirls that I bought on eBay. The, the guy thought they were buttons, and so he sold them cheap on eBay. I think mm -hmm. I got them like for five dollars, oh. and they're they're they are whirls that were made. Who knows how long back wow. uh, that he had gotten in Jerusalem, but he didn't know what they were, and yes. I can't find them. Oh no, they're, they're somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> they're somewhere in the house. That's what Leslie and I always say about anything in our homes. They're yeah. somewhere. They're somewhere in the house. Yeah, and then uh, the most popular spindle nowadays is a top whirl. Uh, that the the weighted part is at the top of the shaft rather than at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was first learning to spin, the only thing I ever saw was a bottom roll spindle. But nowadays, and, and they do seem to work a little easier for me. I don't know. So that's my spindling story. Very interesting. Yeah. And I did have one absolutely enchanting link on uh, the uh, Ravelry that somebody put up, and this right nail is a free pattern for the cutest little hat. <laughs> it's called Pandemonium by, if I had eyes, Karen Michelle. Karen Michelle, Karen Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. And, uh, but you can find it on Ravelry as a free download. It's a hat knitting around from the bottom up. Starts with a two by two rib and continues with an adorable panda, panda color work pattern. This little face is a panda's going all the way around your head. I thought they were skulls. They're panda really, bears. It's really cute. And then it has a um, interesting little um, pattern where the colors change on the top from brown to blue. And then it's got a pom pom. You gonna make one? I gotta learn to do color work. Mm -hmm. But this might enchant me enough to do color work. I don't know. But it's very, very cute. Well, good. Try it. Try okay. it. We will see. And then there's um, some other pandemonium things that have little. There's a set of pandemonium mitts, which I might do faster than um, that. But uh, we'll see. Sounds like good winter projects. Uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Now we have a little tarp. And uh, it was my turn to decide what to talk about. Yes. Time. And I had a customer who uh, contacted me and she asked me, she didn't ask me about the book that she was interested in. She asked me about a little tiny sticker that was in the back of the book. And you had happened to mention that? Yeah, I mention everything when I do, do mm -hmm. a book description. And so um, I got to investigating. It, it's a bookseller sticker. And it's really, you know, if you own a bookstore, which I own a bookstore, it would be a really good move to put sellers in, to put stickers in the books you sell. Mm -hmm. Because it's there forever. Some of these stickers are over 100 years old. That's <laughs> and it, uh, it tells the name of the, uh, most of them tell the name of the store, the street address, and the um, town. You know, and of course now you could put more contact information uh, if you wanted to. And some of them are just really enchanting. I had one that um, it's in a very famous bookstore, I think, that was actually in uh, South Africa at one point. It was foils. You know, like foils. Oh, war. like foils. War. <laughs> yeah. oh, neat. And their sticker actually looks like an open book. Oh. The back of an open book. Oh, yes. And it has the name of the bookstore on down the spine. And then it says catalogs free on the front cover and then the address on the back and that was in africa the address well this one's actually in london in london yeah but uh, but at one time and so got me curious you know it's like is this a thing to collect these stickers and it turns out sure enough it is 
Wow. It is a thing. How did we not know that? I know. I found at least two really interesting websites, and I'll put the websites. If you decide you, and I have lots more of these books. Well, you, let me see, let me see. Yeah, and uh, one website is um, called sevenroads.org bookish, and one is booksellerlabels.com. Oh. The real name of them is Bookseller Label. So if you put that on eBay, does it come up? Oh, I've, you know, I've didn't never do that. tried that. I've we'll never have tried to it. Try. We need to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, defining a bookseller label is a really easy task. It's a small sticker placed in a new or used book to advertise the bookseller that sold it. Um, and where is it always placed in the same general, spot? In general, most of mine were at the back, either the back front, in the back free end paper or the back fixed end paper. But always in the back. Most of them. A few of them were in the front. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess it just depends on the bookseller's. So preference. I may have books. I probably have books. You probably with do. Them. You know, and most of the books that I had that had them were over a hundred years old, mm -hmm. you know, but there were a couple that were on, because, and they were British, there were a couple that were actually um, on up into the 40s, mm -hmm. but the British cling to their traditions a little longer. Right. Yeah. So the ones you sold to this customer, were they all British? No. No, there were a lot of American ones. So yeah. like in Boston yeah. or Philadelphia yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Boston, um, there was some D.C. ones because of the area that we live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there were a couple of Virginia ones. Um, there was one, actually, the oldest one uh, was uh, a Christian, well, they didn't really call it a Christian bookstore, but they were a um, bookstore that specialized in... Um, Hymnals and Bibles and mm -hmm. so on. Like Cokesbury or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Mm. But uh, I think it was um, probably the most used in Great Britain and Europe, but it, they're found everywhere. And they also can be called book trade labels. Uh-huh. And it acts as a little tiny advertisement, gives the name and city of the bookseller. Uh, some of them more elaborate labels um, talked about other products or services they offer. Some, some of mine had stationery mm -hmm. and um, binding and mottos and um, and some of them were real. all of them were really attractive. The, the simplest one was uh, called Britannos. I can't remember where it was from but it was just a simple square. But they still had, they had several different colors. There was some yellow ones, some green ones, and some white ones. Neat. So yeah. I guess the question now is, um, gosh, you, you, you price the book yeah. itself, the value, but it's worth checking to see how much the label is Well, worth. that's it. And I don't think the labels seriously are worth a whole lot by themselves unless it is an unusual die cut mm -hmm. you know it, right. um, and or if the company itself or the bookseller has an interesting history right. like the foils he, they had the interest in die cut and then they also had an interesting history mm -hmm. so uh, but yeah I really didn't find anything much about the value and uh, they did sell the, they said the best thing to do is, um, you know, uh, find a book that doesn't cost a whole lot. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But the more valuable labels, like one of my books was over $100. Mm -hmm. It was a Brethren hymnal. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, the label itself being affixed to that was part of the history of the book. So removing it would not be a good thing. No, no. Yeah. So, uh, and this uh, buyer did not ask me to remove. She bought books and all. Mm -hmm. you know, or she ordered so books you don't know what she's going to do with exactly. them. Exactly. You know, but, but the more, this uh, particular um, uh, website said, you know, it's much better not to remove those. Mm -hmm. You know, because that gives you provenance. And, um, right. and uh, it would, could damage the book. And they're similar to book plates. They're part of the book's history and should only be removed when the book has little value at all. So, and, and I did have, uh, I haven't looked through all my $1 and $2 books to see if they have them yet. 
Well, now, the, you, these... Do yeah, I did bring them? a couple of examples. This book is not in very good condition. But it has two set. It has two. It has one in the front and one in the back. But it's the same seller. Denson's Drapers in Chester. So I yeah, guess that's it's British. It's from British. And then they, he also put it put in the front. one up there. Yeah. I'll be doggone. Yeah. So the book itself, the book has some value because of the content, but it is not in very good shape. It would have been in better shape. It's a $10 book right mm -hmm. now. And the other thing that happened. Actually, it sounds like a good book. Harry Coverdale's Courtship. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is a good book. And then another thing that you find uh, is a bookbinder's ticket. It's not called a label, but when this book has been rebound, uh -huh. it's an 1873 uh, novel uh, that's actually set in Virginia, and uh, colonial Virginia, if I remember right, uh, but at some point somebody had it rebound. And you don't know when that happened? Not really, no, but uh, this is um, F.N. Jones's son of Richmond, Virginia. Did the bind, rebinding, oh, and, so and that looks pretty seat. old. Yeah, yeah, I, I would still say it was probably done. You know, seventy this, years ago. Yeah, so. well, with this type of paper uh, mm -hmm. as the end papers, I'd say turn of the century anyway. Uh -huh. So somebody valued this book enough around nineteen hundred to have it rebound. Wow! And it's got really pretty lettering. And what's the book? It's called Kenneth My King by Sally Brock. Hmm. Yeah. Kenneth And it's King. dedicated to the memory of the late Dr. Joseph Baldwin Brock of Richmond, Virginia. Interesting. Yep. And it, um, so, so that I'll put, I'll put pictures of these labels and things up and, um, uh, links. But that was something that was just totally, you never know what somebody might collect. Mm -hmm. And this, this lady was so excited. And that's the first time you've ever had anyone specifically Everybody, ask. anybody even mention a book Soiler's label. And oh. I had 20 books on, online that, um, and it got kind of complicated, you know, getting the information done, but uh, we, we managed it. Uh, but I had 20 books with uh, that, the labels on. And I don't know how many that I've just thrown into the $2 pile. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, I need to look through those and to see if they have any of the labels. But in general, most of mine were over 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So if you decide you want to collect, I think it would be a inexpensive... It'd be an interesting Interesting hobby. thing. Particularly if you can find information on these um, booksellers. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of them did interesting things. Wow, now I'm all, my fingers are itching to go look at some of my old see books. see if you can find it. Yes. <laughs> Another thing I like is the old book plates. Oh, you know, yes. that people put their names in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, really, I really like the ones that are sort of Art Deco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that mm -hmm. area. So those, the, when, I, when the, one of those is in a good book, it's just like, oh, I've got to sell it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so that's a little tart, so now we need to do... A little unexpected. Well, yeah. a little unexpected. I decided that I would like to share something, uh, a book mm -hmm. that was written by President Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And as far as I know, it's the only novel that he has written. Right. Yeah. And it's called The Hornet's Nest. Came out in 2004, I believe. Yeah, I 2003, so. 2004. I happen to have a signed uh, edition. Yay. Uh huh. That my sister, 2003, that my sister Annie got when he was at um, the Regulator Bookstore down in Durham. How awesome. And I always wondered why that bookstore was called the Regulator. Uh-huh. 
Well, I found out after I read this book because the regulators were the group of patriots prior to the Revolutionary War that got things moving yeah. towards changing all the policies and unfairness and everything going on with England. Yeah. And this novel, that's what it's about. Yeah. Is the South's part in the Revolutionary War. And there was so much I did not know. Then none of us know. In fact, Jimmy Carter did a uh, an interview with Emory University down in Georgia. Um, this was back when the book first came out, and and he said when he was asked about you know why did you write this book? Number one, why is a novel? Mm -hmm. And I think he he's basic basically said because he wanted to draw even the lives of his own family how they came down from Pennsylvania, yeah. North Carolina, and then on into Georgia, which mm -hmm. of course was he. And so the main character is a compilation of his ancestors uh -huh. and how they came down. So that yeah. was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but as, as most of us um, Say you, and this is quoting Carter. You ask the average person on the street or the average student in an Emory history class what they know about the Revolutionary War, and they'll know there were a few skirmishes around Boston. Carter said, mm -hmm. "They know that Paul Revere rode his horse in the middle of the night." That George Washington crossed the Delaware River in a snowstorm and had a hard time one winter, and that Cornwallis surrendered. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One misconception Carter clears up is the thought that most of the war was fought in New England. Yeah. Nearly all the major battles, he said, took place from Georgia through the Carolinas and into southern Virginia. So, that's very, very interesting. And the most important battles, uh, arguably, um, according to another book I read recently by Sharon McCrum, Kings Mountain, mm -hmm. Kings Mountain was the definitive battle. Yes, right there in North Carolina. Right there in North Carolina, and it was like uh, things had not been going well in the North with uh, whatever was going on up there. At the time, and this kind of changed the whole. We can do this. Yes. Or changed the whole attitude of the Continental Army into we can do this. These here, these um, fellows came over a hill, whooped them, and then went home. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so why can't we? Yes. So. Um, yeah, and but, there were a lot of those battles. A lot the, of those I, battles. I, uh, another side in in the Hornet's Nest that came out. I knew nothing about was the whole Florida Rangers. Yeah, I didn't know anything about yeah. any of that. Yeah, and the the um, role the Quakers played. Yeah. The Quakers were a very big influence in many different ways. Right. But just the fact that their presence yeah. and the amount of land they owned, even yeah. when they were trying to be peaceful and keep to themselves, right. and um, it still affected the outcome. And the Native American Indians, uh -huh. the role uh, right. that they and played. And it seems, sounds like, although we had heard a bit about, uh, about the role of Native Americans with the British in New England and Canada and Benedict Arnold and all that, but it sounds like it was even more pressing mm -hmm. in Georgia, North Carolina, and so on. Yes. So, and the thing that really surprised me was originally Georgia was not a slave state. I know. Yeah, that yeah. was real. And the British, um, you can according to the way Mr. Carter presented this, you can really see why the Native Americans would be interested in helping the British. That never was made clear in any classes I ever took. Mm -mm. You know, it's just like, yeah, the, you know, the, uh, 
we fought the British and the Indians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, but the attitude of the British, as opposed to the attitude of the settlers, in the settlers wanting more land and the British um, supporting the Native Americans. Well, the treaties. They yeah. were honoring the they treaties. They were honoring the treaties. Mm-hmm. And so you can see. Right, so that was, that. that was very interesting. Yes, and then there was the role of the French yeah. aiding, you know, Lafayette, and oh, yeah. aiding mm-hmm. the Americans. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and the reason for that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, it's not an easy, easy read. No, it's quite long. It's almost 500 pages and right. for a novel. And, you know, as I, I, I went up and read probably about... Um, 25 reviews just to see what people said and there was everything from you know all the stars this was wonderful blah 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 down to you know President Carter might be a great historian the novelist not so much you know so um well, and, and of course, I'm a bit of a history geek anyway. Well, and, I am too, yeah. so... And my geekdom is I like the stories about ordinary people. Yes, and that's what I liked and about this. that was this. what this is, was interesting about. That's what the Sharon McCrum King's Mountain, um, she tells it from the point of view of, of one of the women that was kind of housekeeper. Well, she presents her as a housekeeper. He presents her a little bit different in here. But... Um, but I really enjoyed her point of view, seeing, you know, she, she's she's trying to stay alive. Right, exactly. And and her reasons for doing what she does. And um, so it was really interesting to see the revolution from the viewpoint of somebody who's just really just trying to stay alive. Well, and I think <laughs> that's with his main character, yeah. too, exactly. Ethan. Um, Pratt, who had come down from Philadelphia with his wife because he really wanted to be a farmer. Yeah. Yeah, and he really wanted to be peaceful and, um, and the, um, shouldn't tell the end. Do you remember the end? Well, the Americans won. Huh? <laughs> I'm teasing yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I'm teasing you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember the end. Um, that he left it hanging. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and uh, so you you get to decide what the character did after after the war was over, and he went home, and his life is shattered. Shattered. So yeah. many were as yeah. war is, you know, in any any war. Yeah. So. Um, but well, it, another thing Carter said here uh-huh. about this. Another thing that's unknown about the war is that it was by far the bloodiest war we ever fought. It was filled with intense hatred and vituperation, Carter said. Mm -hmm. There were orders that went out on both sides, don't take any prisoners. One British general ordered that if you took a prisoner, you would lose your rum ration for a month. So if anybody on either side surrendered, they were executed with a bayonet through the gut or a bullet through the head. This didn't happen in any other war, and it happened regularly in this one. So this war was filled with different kinds of experiences, of interrelationships and challenges, of dreams that were shattered, Carter said. In my opinion, no other war had that. Good point. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not, uh, we had an incident in my family where a um, fellow tried to hang my grandpa, my great-great-grandpa. Great-great. Yeah, yeah great-great-grandpa. And I always wondered about, okay, war is over. They went back home. That was Civil War? Yeah, this was a Civil mm-hmm. War. And when the emotions are so intense, uh, the... Um, and you're seeing your neighbor kill your neighbor, then you go home and you still have to live with this person. That's right. And how how they reconciled that, you know, you know how great grandpa I'm sure saw this prominent person in Patrick County regularly. 
that tried to string him up. <laughs> yes, and it would have been even more intense with the Revolutionary Absolutely. War because there weren't even as many people. Yeah. So you you did know. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting. I am listening in, in the car to, oh golly, I'm going to have to remember the name of the book, but the, the cat lady from Charlottesville, Rita Mae Brown. Oh, Rita Mae, yeah. And she, she started coming out with these books uh -huh. where it's modern day, but it also flips back to, this happens to be 1782. So mm. it's right after the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And the, the fellas who had, have, are settling the Charlottesville area. So while I'm reading Hornet's Nest, I'm also listening to these settlers who... That would confuse the heck out of me. Oh, no. It's all falling into place. And another thing I like about reading Hornet's Nest is um, the names now. Like, I drove to Asheville the other day oh, yeah. to take a friend to pick mm -hmm. up a car... And there was like Tryon, or there oh, was, yeah. you know, these town names right. that yeah. are these people that yeah. I'm reading about in Hornet's yeah, Nest. Severe and Unsevere yeah. and all that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, we've always been kind of, the colonial governors have always been painted as kind of not so great. And but, they were a mixed bag. Some yeah, were fair and yeah, some sound weren't. Like the, sound like the Georgia guy really tried. Mm -hmm. really but not the North Carolina the guy. North not Carolina the Tryon guy. Yeah. Not according to Jimmy. Yeah. And I do have three postcards. Cool. So I'll let you take these and get pictures or yeah. we'll take some. Uh -huh. And this book you know, starts out, uh, well, besides starting in Philadelphia, it starts right. out in Hillsborough, yeah, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, there was there, mm, yeah. quite a bit of time settling in, in that area, which is where the regulators got started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these are three houses. Uh, there's Thomas Burke. He was the governor for the General Assembly in 1781, just after the right. war. Then there's a Colonial Inn built in 1759, wow. so it would have been in use while this book Absolutely. is taking place. And then the Nash Hooper House, which was built in 1772, so mm -hmm. it was right, right. in right. the midst. The so these homes yeah. are on postcards. These postcards are from like the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm assuming these three places are probably still in Hillsborough. Oh, I, I would hope so. Beautiful colonial mm -hmm, styles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was sort of interesting how yeah. it could tie all that together. Absolutely. So uh, we can we can recommend Jamie Carter's book. Yes. Because uh, we are history geeks. And it was very readable. It wasn't that. It wasn't a fast read, but it no. was definitely a very readable book. Mm -hmm. It took me about a week and a half. Yeah, which is long for you. Really and I'm rereading this. Of yeah. course, I read it when I first. I was sure. given it for Christmas all those ten years ago. Yeah. But now that we're doing it for book club, right. I am rereading it and um, and learning just so much. Now, some one one person in our book club came up to me and said, "What did she say? That was like the driest book she's ever read." Thank you, Beth. You know? <laughs> well, but then uh, two uh, two others, including you, yeah. have said, "Yeah, it's a slow read, but you didn't think it was dry." No, uh, it kind of reminds me. You remember Alice uh, when she was sitting watching her, um, or she was sitting with her sister before she went down the rabbit hole and she was looking at the uh, book and there were no pictures or conversations. Right. You know, there are very few conversations. You know, it's a whole lot of narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, but it does move along. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a, a couple of racy bits. Just a little bit. Apparently, Rosalind <laughs> gave him a little uh, talking to there. You yeah. know, Jimmy toned it down there. Yeah. Well, there was actually <laughs> one really sad um, scene, rape scene. Mm -hmm. I thought he handled it very well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Very, very tragic situation. Yeah. Um, which so gave this woman motivation to do what she did. Right. You know? Right. 
And I thought he handled the first couple marriages. Yeah. Um, yeah that was interesting, the way mm -hmm. he saw those marriages. Right, yeah. right. So, so I, I, you know, I recommend it, especially I think everyone should read it just to understand the Revolutionary War. Yes. This country, and in, in a political year where yeah. it's nuts around here right now. Oh, yeah. Just, just absolutely bonkers. But guess what? America has always, yeah, always, always you know, yeah. from the Tories and the Whigs and the Whigs and the yeah. Democrats and the, you know, the Republicans and the, and the whatever during the, the Prohibitionist War. Party. I mean, yeah. it women's is, suffrage. I yeah. mean, it has been yeah. just nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we, people yeah. forget that. Oh, yeah. The civil rights. Oh my goodness! Yeah, That's yeah, right. And can. people dying and hating and yeah. burning houses and yeah. you know, I mean, you put it into perspective, and this year's maybe even a little tame compared to uh -huh. some years. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Now we have Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I do a whole lot of just scrolling on oh. on Facebook. Oh, I do too. <laughs> Because it gets my blood boiling, yeah. and I just, and I don't want to say things just because, what's the point? Yeah. What's yeah. the point? Yeah, that's really, people aren't going to change their mind because of the Facebook post. Right. And working the elect, yeah. you know, the election, I always, I just hope people come and vote. People need to vote. And, no, and after I read what they vote. went through. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and right up, I mean, every woman should vote because look what women went through. Oh, absolutely. African Americans, you should vote because look what your uh, predecessors went through. That's right. Every and every just man, woman, and 18 year old should. <laughs> yeah. When you look what people went through to make this country happen. Absolutely. You yep. know, and after going to James Monroe's house, which I talked about right. on the last Quince, um, you know, people. People really worked hard to make this democracy yep. happen. So you need to do your public duty yes. and make your voice heard. And if you don't vote, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, that too. <laughs> there is that too. <laughs> don't tell me yes. that you're happy. Yes. All right. Have we about need to wrap it up? I think so. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, our show notes can be found at www.quincepodcast.com. We are also on iTunes under Quince Podcast or Beth Almond Ford or Leslie Sheeler. Uh, we have a Facebook page and uh, we try to do something about every day on it. And we will try to be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.